We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're in episode 563 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Neil Hilton. He's Kevin Williams. And honestly, it's been a pretty slow news week in the Barcelona world, which does give us a little more space to go over some stuff and pick Kevin's brain on a grab bag of topics. How does that sound, Kevin? Um, well, I mean, picking my brain won't take long, so I know what you're going to do with the rest of the time, but hey, let's have at it. All right. Well, we do have some fun. <laughs> and the way. I would say most of this is fun. But I'm actually going to start in a pretty awful place. So we're going to do a hard right turn right at the start. But one that might come up, I feel like, as I talk about, especially with the history stuff that I've been telling people, I've been collabing with Robbie, who I had on last week, about. And that's going to be coming out this weekend, likely on Saturday. So with that history stuff, there are certain names that come up. And there is news related to one of those names. And that is Danny Alves has been stripped of his legendary status at Barcelona. And following his recent conviction of rape, he has a jail sentence for four years and six months. So people who've been listening to me for a while know that there's no conversation here. There's no debate about what his innocence is. And there's all, there are those abstract uh, innocent until proven guilty and those ideas about other people or other plays around football. But nope, there he was convicted. This is a open and shut case now. So I will on this show do my best to avoid his name and his legacy at Barca the best I can. And as someone, though, who does bring up a lot of history, there will be challenges along the way, of course. I had him ranked ninth in my list of the best Barcelona players ever for the club at 120 years. And he's on the short list of the greatest right backs of all time, maybe even top three, top five. Knowing that that fact is true, that is a true fact. That's the player that he was. But then also punishing him with anonymity going forward, especially he serves out his sentence. That is all possible. So I hope we just keep those two things in our heads as possible ideas. So there is no side you have to take on what he is, what his legacy is, and all that stuff, and what he was. So the player he was is going to be forgotten the best we can because he did one of the only things, and I say only things, really, that get you erased from history. Mostly, I mean, Ronaldinho was jailed and is really a messy guy, Ronaldinho, and even Rivaldo. Like, I don't get into politics, but he's got his politics or whatever, and yet... Ronaldinho still got his son signed up to the academy and still does the legend circuit and all that stuff all the time. So it's not the jail part. And anyone that debates that with you can't understand the concept of nuance or is apologetic to rapists because the secondary category are almost always involves a pretty linear way of thinking and nuance is impossible for those people. 
So Kevin, that is kind of a podcast general statement that I'm making about the future of how we talk about and don't talk about Danny Alves. But unless you have a huge disagreeing curveball with me, I'll, uh, I'll give you a quick word and then we can jump back to, into the actual show. He's dead to me. Move on. Great. All right. So I have to ask you some of the questions that I think I already know your answer to knowing you. Javi is leaving. That is a fact. That is true. Maybe. <laughs> but is there a world where Barca go with the wrong next guy? I mean, you've seen a lot of changes at Barcelona in their coaching. <laughs> and even when you say, you know, the next guy is going to be better and then he's not. Is there a way that Xavi ends this season in a positive way where it feels like Barcelona maybe should have kept him because Barcelona has not lost since he said he would step down a month ago. And you really just, you don't know what it's going to look like when Gavi comes back and, and not to make excuses for Xavi, but he only had Frankie, Pedri, Gundogan and Gavi for, was it four games or four and a half games this season, five total games this season. So just, there is this nebulous world. So I guess that would be the question. Is there a way that you say, ah, maybe Barca should have kept Xavi because this new guy is somehow worse? No. When Xavi's name first came up, and I believe we discussed it, and I said he'd be in over his head, uh, wasn't the right guy for the role for many reasons. But the main reason is he's too dogmatic to coach at a level. What coming up the rungs of a a coaching ladder does is it builds flexibility, right? I mean, say what you want about Pep Guardiola, but you know, coaching Barcelona B built flexibility. It made him adapt. Xavi came from the PSG of the Qatari League to Barcelona. And so he had no adversity, no stress, no real complexities to deal with, no rash of injuries, no managers who were better managers or better tacticians than he was. So he was like, he he brought an intellectual knife to a gunfight and we're seeing the results. His team is still, still an amorphous mess. The defense has still not been sorted. The midfield is still a sieve. I mean, Christensen at DM certainly helps, but I mean, a traffic cone would be a better DM than Oriol Mayo. So, you know, I don't think there is a circumstance. I mean, could they, let's say Real Madrid has the mother of all slumps and Barcelona comes back and wins the league? And people say, oh, we should have kept Xavi. No, because the evidence on the pitch, irrespective of results, is still a team that doesn't know what it's doing. At all ends of the pitch, he's still um, trying to make do with a Dembele-like presence, even though Dembele's gone, right? He still hasn't adapted his offense in any real significant ways to compensate. He's just... He's not ready. And I wish that Laporta had had more brains than cojones, right, to, to make him understand that, you know, and I know that Big Joan is the king of vibes, right? And there is no more ultimate vibe than bringing back the ultimate midfielder mm-hmm. to the team. But it was a mistake from day one. And I think there is, no, for me, right, personally, obviously, there's no circumstance, even if uh, Barca were to come back, win the league, pull off Champions League, it would still be like blind 
squirrel finds a nut, he's still better off going. I mean, go learn the game, you know, learn the rungs, shape a team, build something, work your way up through Europe. And then maybe someday when you're ready and have the necessary flexibility, both psychologically, tactically, substitutions, right? I mean, match after match, we see his players running around like dogs with their tongues hanging out. Subs, nah, it's all fine, right? And then the, the 85th minute will come like, here comes, you know, Fermin Lopez, here comes somebody. It's, it's just, he's not, he's not ready. And there's no, there's, for me, there's nothing that could change my opinion of that because irrespective of results, the evidence is on the pitch that things aren't functioning as they should be. That said, right? I mean, could the next manager be worse? For sure. I mean, there's no, you know, look at set the end, right? Who came and was like, I'm going to be, you know, huge of these Corinthian principles. It's going to be a beautiful football, blah, blah, blah. It was terrible. You know, it's so it, it could always be worse, is my football saying. It could always be worse. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time it happened in the club's history and it won't be the last time. I mean, Ray Shack came in being a guy that was well-liked at the club and he was fantastic as a scout. And now let's talk about the Messi on a napkin. I mean, like, Ray Shack was a really good scout for a long time and coming up in the history stuff, and I've covered on the channel, like Botar Moss, who was a club scout from the 30s all the way to the 70s. He's the one who scouted Ray Shack. And there's a history of, of just having a good eye for talent and football. And it's just the managerial side of it doesn't necessarily work for you. And that's what happens. Now, it's a weird thing with Xavi in the last month that we talk about because I've got good news for you and bad news for you almost in the same sentence in that, again, Lamine Yamal and Pau Gubarsi, to me, in the last month have been Barca's two best players, at least consistent players, Lamine Yamal and Pau Gubarsi. That's the good news. The bad news is that they are 16 and 17 years old. And to your point, Xavi is relying on and has really put a, a great onus and burden on a 16 and 17 year old to perform and be Barcelona's best players in a system they're running. So that is the roses and thorns to it. Right. And so I know Adafe feels like a lifetime ago. So we're not really going into that. I did the five headlines. I went, you know, pretty long on those ideas, but it was still a four nothing win. And the question I'm going to ask you was, did every, did anything, not everything, but did anything from that match feel like it could carry over to other matches? If you don't have any immediate suggestions, I have one for you that I, I really liked, and I'll throw it at you first. I thought, I don't know if you saw this too, but in the first 10 minutes or so when Barcelona was starting slow, De Jong kept dropping in to be that third center back and build up like he does. But either Xavi made this claim or Ter Stegen or Araujo, somebody threw it out at De Jong. Hey, trust Kubarsi's passing here, move forward. And so De Jong's starting position, if you notice on the heat map, was a little bit farther forward. He was picking, he would receive the ball at midfield as opposed to receiving the ball in between the center backs. And that changed around the 12th to 15th minute. That changed Barca's control in that match and was really important. And to me, stuck out as if Barca just kind of says, hey, Kubarsi, your passing is that good and relies on him to do that, which is something that they have not had from that, well, against Adafi, it was different too because Kabarsi was playing at right center back. And I think that's something is moving forward that Xavi should be really, really harping on because having Araujo protect Cancelo on the left, you have Kunde on the right, and then having Kubarsi's on his natural right foot passing. He's the best passer at that center, at center back or that back line in totality already. 
So having him there at the right center back spot where he was good on the left, you're like, oh, that's better passing we get on the left. Great. But having him on the right, I think really even opens up more for you. And that is something that Xavi should do going forward, certainly, because it puts the young in better spots. It puts Gundogan in better spots. And by the way, Gundogan has now created 100 chances, the first player in the top five leagues to do that, which is good. But I'm going to even give you the runway here because I talked about Pedri last week. and People heard enough from me, but I did find it interesting, though, the spots that De Jong and Gundogan, positive spots that they found themselves in offensively without Pedri on the field. I just, it's something to think about. It was interesting to me. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I guess the takeaway for me from the, that match is that Barca needs to find more managers dumb enough to to play that high line with players not adept enough to get sure. back to resolve problems. <laughs> sure. That's, that was awesome. Uh, it was fun to watch, right? You know, R- Rafinha is really good at running in behind high lines. That is one of the two things he does really well and the second best thing he does the first best thing of course being to run around like a punch drunk chipmunk <sighs> Bruce played well right I mean they have faced teams with high lines before and still wrestled with making good things happen in that match them being able to find Rafinha running in you know, never mind what he did with his chances right mm. Them being able to find him running in behind opponents is very useful. Now, now every subsequent manager will watch that match and say, look at that dummy, right? Let's not be him. And so it's hard to imagine Xavi's team having that luxury, right, ever again this season. Um, for me, I think the best thing to come out of that match was Laminia Mall got rest. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I think that I'm with you. you know they've been running that kid into the ground. Yep. And you know, he is a fantastic player. He is somebody who when people talk about <clears throat> you know, it's funny, there was a uh, tweet that Graham Hunter posted about Hope Barcy saying that he was reminiscent of a player that in recent history might have come out of Manchester City's Academy, right? And people, of course, took umbrage because, you know, the legacy of Lamas, see of blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, recency bias aside, what's the last good passing CB to come out of Lamas, Sia? PK, right? 
So, you know, I, I think in that aspect, Hunter's statement, tweet, was pretty accurate. And people could take take umbrage all they want. But the reality is Lamine Yamal needs to be preserved. He's 16. He's 16, right? And he's a phenom, but he's 16. And let's not forget, he is one bad tackle away from being Ansu Fati. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're right, because I mean, I recall that Ansu Fati tackled from behind in, I believe, against Betis. Betis? Yes. Right? Mondi. Yep. And that that began the, the the avalanche of which doctor's working on his knee and he will never be the same player again. You know, it he's one bad tackle away from that. Young bodies that are still developing need to be given time to grow and develop. Playing every match is not the best way to do that. Shelley's in a quandary in that he's the team's best right winger. He's the team's best winger, period. Right? Yeah. Best right winger. That's a fault of transfers. Uh, it's a fault of, you know, poor decisions on the technical side. But he is. And so if you want to win matches, you have to run Lamine Yamal down. And I, I think that's bad. Mm-hmm. I would rather have the team lose with Rafinha than risk damaging such a bright and promising young talent for the future. So the best thing to come out of the, uh, that match for me was rest for Lamine Yamal. You know, people are saying, oh, Kubarsi was good. You could see he was good from his first outing. So to me, that's not a revelation um, because, I mean, if you pay attention to his game, he's he's fantastic. How good is he? Who knows? He's 17, right? I mean, don't forget that we were watching Ilash Moriba, who five years ago was going to be the future of the FC Barcelona uh, midfield. Right now, he is some corn road villain kicking chunks out of uh, Barcelona players for uh, borderline. So what is the future hole? Who knows? But, you know, right now, that the two best players on the team aren't even old enough to drink to celebrate their victories it's kind of hilarious and in many ways also a for me anyway blistering indictment of what the club has done transfer wise and what it has done technically with player acquisition because your two best players should not be babies they just shouldn't be correct right right it's it's a thing where in the it's hard to know if good times are coming, right? Like we don't know the future. So if the first year of Kubarsi and Lamini Mall, you go, okay, that's what this year was. This year will be remembered as, I mean, in a way that to me, 2004, 2005, even though it was leading to 06 for the Champions League or whatever, like those are the years that the only time you really see those highlights was it was the years of Ronaldinho and it was the years of Messi debuting. And that's kind of how you remember that that era uh, under Reichardt until, of course, yes, they win the Champions League. But even that, that Champions League was a little bit different than the Guardiola ones, just the, the vibe and the feeling and everything. So you mentioned Fermin Lopez and just a quick aside on him. As I've said before, I get why Fermin Lopez gets limited minutes. I, I think like we talk about something boring like rest defense, but that's something that's like essential to like control <laughs> and Barcelona's attempts at control. But I think there is an argument and the numbers per 90 do bear a little fruit to this, that he can be more impactful than Jao Felix at this point in terms of production on the field. Per 90, 
And I do really wonder in certain phases with his playing time, because he's the only real person, I think, when you talk about merit and what he's done on the field this season, I think he's really the only player that I look at that bench. And again, Mark, you, he's still, I think he just turned 18 or maybe he's still 17 too. But anyway, Mark, you like his limited time is fine. Like he's killing it with Barca athletic when he, he just scores goals like crazy there. U19, he scores goals. First team, he just scores goals. Like let that kid get 10 minutes here, whatever. And I've talked about Vita Roque, who turned 19 today too, about his transition. So we don't have to do that again. I've done that stuff to death, but Fermi Lopez is the one guy on that bench that I look to and say, hey, he could probably be on the field more. And I do really wonder if you can't trust him for 57 minutes and then Jao Fellas gets the 33 minutes after him. I mean, is it really that different for Fermin and his game and his style to play 57 minutes instead of 35? But, you know, I'm going to zag here on you because I actually think the answer might be yes. That's a, there's a big difference between Fermin Lopez paying 35 to 57. But I do want to hear what you think because... I know that Xavi's getting flack for making those subs, but I, I think we're almost splitting hairs on Xavi and subbing where I'd say, I think Xavi would be better to play Fermi Lopez 42 minutes in a match, a game, or 38 minutes as opposed to starting him, giving him 57, taking him off for Jeff Fugs or whatever. And I'd rather have you just, instead of giving him 33 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, you bump that to make sure you get him on it. 55 or 58 or whatever. Like you make subs more judiciously. And Fermi Lopez, one of your first off the bench, just because he has been that good. But again, I, I don't want to extend his minutes too far because I think we like what he provides and Xavi likes what he provides. But I think it's very, what I've watched of him, it's really easy for him to be overextended defensively. But because Barca, because of the shape, he's not going to get the, you're not going to fault him for that, right? Because he's so high up. The space he's going to leave is what creates the issues. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and you know, in thinking about whether Lopez can be more impactful than Joao Felix, I mean, my late grandmother in her urn could be more impactful than Joao Felix, right? I think that the danger with for me Lopez, as you know, is he's he's too active. He's too active, right? In the sense that he leaves spaces and in a whatever system Javi aims to be playing at, you need more positional discipline from your midfielder or your winger when he drifts toward that side. You know, I tweeted during the match that, you know, for me, Lopez will, will probably never be a starter yeah. for the club, but he will be that fantastic first player off the bench because there is a point in every match, right, where that team needs industry. It just needs someone, you know, in, the, I don't know how deep your NBA history goes, but the pretty, Lakers had. I'm pretty, I'm pretty ridiculous. I'm pretty obsessive. So uh, okay. are you, what are we talking okay. about? Sam Jones, so, Bill Russell, who are we talking John Havlicek, who are we talking about? So, so Kurt Rambis, right, for the Lakers mm -hmm. was the guy, okay, go in, dive, do things, foul people, get loose balls, make stuff happen, right? For me, Lopez is that kind of player. That, like, all right, kid, go in there and hit somebody, player. And that's useful. The question is, at what point in the match is that useful? I don't know that it is is ever going to be useful as 
as part of the uh, part of the X one, right? But you know, in like the fiftieth minute, when the other team's getting a little tired, maybe, and the manager hasn't been bright enough to sub yet, you stick him in, and suddenly he's getting those loose balls. He's running at attackers. He's chasing things down. The he he brings benefits and he also brings risk and because he's not a particularly thoughtful player he's an action player and you need action players but there's a point in a match where you need thoughtful players you know right when Glenn starts getting tired is when I would be thinking about subbing him uh, because when when Gunga, when Lindelof is tired, he's completely useless. He's just he, he's no good. And you have to get him off the pitch. The problem is Xavi is reluctant to get him off the pitch because of the, well, you know, you'll have that one moment of magic. It'll all be wonderful. But meanwhile, you sacrifice so much waiting for that one moment of magic that sometimes the match slips away from you or the momentum slips away from you. I think, you know, I, I love Lopez as a player. Love, 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 love. I also think he's, he's or more correctly, love his skill set, right? What he, he brings to that team is amazing and extremely useful. The problem is it's, it's also ultimately limited. And I think that as the midfield gets better, his usefulness will also see a diminution because like right now, Barca has many players who are much better in the context of that team than they are in real life. I mean, Ferdinand Torres, if the technical staff has done their homework properly, he's carrying luggage. You know, if you have a midfield of whatever the idealized Frankie de Jong was going to be, <laughs> and Pedri and Gavi, then, you know, you're... First man off the bench is is Gundogan, and for me, Lopez is cheerleading right in the shadowy part of the Barcelona dugout. So you know he's one of those contextual players who is better than he is because he's living in a world right now where people aren't as good as they should well, be. To me, he's to me he's actually almost his situation is similar to, but he's almost the opposite of Ricky Puj in that, again, rest defense and control. Now, I, you chuckle, but the reason I say this is because I always said that Ricky Puj's rest defense was his problem in the big picture of Barcelona. But like again, people know I, I, I work with MLS, and so I watch Ricky Puj now in the Galaxy. And the difference between Fermi Lopez and Ricky Puj, why I say almost the opposite, is that Fermi Lopez does his work off the ball as a part of a system. To your point, he's such a system player. That's how he scores his goals. He presses hard. He works hard. All those different things. Ricky Puj, as we're seeing in MLS, and I know people gripe about the level of MLS, but it's much better than it used to be. Messi's at Inter-Miami doing the thing, and they still don't win all the games. right? It's, it's, MLS is much, much better nowadays. But Ricky Puj for the Galaxy, he is their guy. When he gets ball to feet, he is really special. And the things that I said about him, about how special he was at Barcelona, are still the same thing. If a team wanted to bring him back to the Liga and make him their 10, like I think he has a ceiling on the ball of an Isco. Thing is, all over, like all around, no, I, I'm, I, well, Isco now for Real Betis this season. 
I, I honestly, I think Ricky Pooch has that kind of ceiling on the ball. The problem is you don't always have the ball. And especially in the top levels of games, when you don't have the ball, Ricky Pooch was such a net loss to you. He has to be the fulcrum. He has to have the ball to feet and you have to protect him. And he's never going to get that protection, especially at Barcelona, of course, but he was never going to get that. They weren't going to build the team around Ricky Pooch. That's not going to happen because that's on his ceiling to be the, the, you don't build and win Champions League around Ricky Pooch. Like that's the ceiling to him, right? But again, if, if he's a team, I mean, even, even like a Las Palmas, I think he's not somebody that builds around him. But let's say, I mean, we just watched Mallorca yesterday for Real Sociedad. If Mallorca wanted to bring him back as their 10 or something, I think you could do that. Right, exactly. I think that's what the level is. And so Fermi Lopez, what, while the role might be similar, what's again different to me is to your point that coming off the bench, being this injection of energy, if he can refine his pressing and his work rate, what he does for you offensively and what he adds in late stages in games is really useful. And is, as I've said with Kosalenia in the past too, before he, he left the club, there is always a space. And Sergio Roberto knows better than anyone else. There is a position on every team for players. Barcelona only registered 19 first team players. And now that he's registered with the first team and all healthy, there's 20. And there's always going to be room. There has to be guys 20 to 25 in your first team. One of them is a backup goalkeeper. Usually it's a, there's a third keep goalkeeper as well. So you've got three to four spots really of guys who don't really play. And Fermi Lopez, especially at this juncture in his career, he's still just 20. So being uh, next season, if he sticks around being an even more limited role, but playing, he'll still play 15 to 20 matches in a season and come off the bench and for him to be guy 20 through 25 on a, a well-built squad, totally fine. I'm completely fine with that. Like that happens. And if he wants to get a bigger role somewhere else and, and go for greener pastures, sure. Like he can do that. And Barcelona should be in their rights to then cash in on a player that wants a bigger role. Like that is how you conduct positive business, which actually I want to put a pin in that before you respond, because I'm going to circle back to a point about that business later, because first I want to go back to something you actually talked about taking a page out of the Spanish football podcast book. And that is I Liga. Now, 26 match days in, Real Madrid is on 65 points. Girona is on 59. You're shaking your head. And I guess this isn't much of a talking point because I have the history to back it up. Barcelona is on 57 points. And those two drop points against Granada may have sealed it. it was, it's eight at this point, And it would have been a lot different to look at if you could see six. And Atletico Madrid is in fourth, by the way, at 52. So there is actually an argument that Barcelona is closer to being first in the Liga throughout the remainder of this season than they are to fourth. But... Again, we're, we're splitting hairs here because what's the difference between, well, second and third is the difference. But Athletic Club is also on 49. So Barca's plus eight on Athletic Club and they're minus eight on top of the table. So that's where they are from first to, to fifth. And as, as you shook your head, history says no, there's, that, that, that there is no Liga, as in I Liga, like is there Liga? No, no, no single team has ever overturned a gap of not only nine, but Barcelona was at, was it 13 at one point? So obviously 13 has not happened, but even nine, that was the greatest. And the team who did that was Barcelona, 1999, uh, 1998, 1999. They managed to come back from nine points down on, on Real. Uh, oh wait, Real Mallorca, not uh, Real Madrid even that season. That was Mallorca who popped up the title that year. So Mallorca had a tally of 28 points on match day 14 while Barcelona was at 19. But again, we're 26 match days in, and there's 12 remaining. 
So it's not 14 that you're coming back from. Yeah. And the difference is I don't want to give a compliment to Real Madrid, but they just have more guys that can decide matches. That's why I, I think they're going to win the title. And I'm not talking about fours. I mean, I mean, just mean players who decide matches when you don't play well. And that's just what Real Madrid are this season. They, they, and they, I mean, they've been that in recent seasons, Champions League and all that stuff, sure. But I think in the Liga in particular, that's where really we see the difference with Real Madrid, where they have the ability to say, all right, hey, you know, Bellingham was only good for 10 minutes, but he was good enough for those 10 minutes. Vinicius Jr. was good enough for those 15 minutes. That's all we needed. Rodrigo, thank you for your day. Brahim Diaz, thank you for your day. Luka Modric, there's been two games this season. He's come in in the 80th minute, decided games. Even Denny Cavajal, actually, he's having his best season, I think, in a few years, honestly. And he's decided like three games, right? He's, he's won them five points over the course of a season, and that, that will win you the Liga. And so, no, this is not the best Real Madrid we've seen in a while. They're likely going to be even stronger next season. But to your point, Barcelona, they just don't have the horses to do it. And we're seeing for Girona, we are seeing the cracks for Girona recently in the way they play. It's just they do leave some space. And we are seeing what happened with Girona when you play basically the same 13 guys all season long. And I think we're seeing those cracks in transition against them. And, you know, it was bound to happen. Again, they only had their their squad with only... 14 players and you go out and you start the same 14 guys week in a week out. Like you you're seeing more individual errors than you saw in the whole first half of the season. Like as much as Barca going for Ellis Gar- uh, Garcia, I'm not worried about him and the mistakes he's making now as the pivot at Girona, because again, he's being overextended for Girona in the role, even that he would have for Barca. Like if you chop off yeah. 300 minutes of his season, I think Ellis Gar- Garcia has been unbelievable this season. And I would love to sign up for that depending on different transfer movements, but you're seeing what happens when you extend him to now, I think he's going to play around 5,500 minutes a season. And that's just like, or 6,000 minutes. And he's not a player that can eat minutes the way that Busquets used to, you know, Busquets for everything you could say about his later years, that dude ate up minutes, just minute after minute after minute on the field, consistent level. And you can't, you can't ask that of a player like Alex Garcia, who you also has to do things offensively. That is, you know, it's funny because like when Girona began to be less, less imperious, right? People were like, oh, you know, this is like, they're choking, they're below, they're uh, coming down to earth. No, they're just, they're just, they're, they're, they're evincing the inevitable fatigue of a limited roster. It was bound to happen. No player has boundless energy. No player has the capability ability to play the kind of minutes and the difference and what sullies what brings reality to every glorious underdog story is horses you know at some point you need more than 13 horses to run the race because la liga is a long race and the thing about madrid and you know as a kool-aid you can acknowledge that they're the the prototypical evil empire, but then also acknowledge that, as you said, they have difference makers and the way they play football, they don't need to play well to win matches. I mean, go run down there and do something, you know, and someone does and gets in the box and things happen and rebounds fall to the right place. And, you know, I mean, that first match with uh, Barcelona, I mean, people will say, you know, Barcelona should have won that match i mean i know how barcelona lost that match they you know they ran out they ran out of energy to do the 
thing that got them to the point where the match was winnable. And at that moment, they lacked decisive players, right? Madrid had one decisive player in Bellingham. And I think at some point, so for me, there is no I-League because Barca has, who's left on their schedule? At Letty, the second Classico. Yeah, I got it for you. So I don't mean a downer. Yeah, I I got it for you. I don't mean a downer, but there are 12 matches left in the Liga with Barcelona still having matches against Atleti, Real Madrid, and Girona. But Barca actually has, you know, as I said, a really tough schedule, as you're saying. Like, they still host Mallorca next Friday. Then it's Napoli the Tuesday. Then Atleti the next weekend. Plus Las Palmas and Real Sociedad, who are stinking up the joint. But it's still Real Sociedad, but they're stinking up the joint. And then Real Madrid and Girona are both on the road. And I know it feels like Barca aren't playing great at home. But they are 10-1-3 in the league at home and 7-5-0 and on the road. So yes, all three losses have come at home, but they do generally win at home instead of settling for draws, which if you want to come back in the Liga, you have to win, not to settle for a draw. So on the road, even if they drew Real Madrid and Girona, that doesn't help them in any way. Like they have to win those matches. And basically with 12 matches remaining, they would, again, they would have to win out. They'd have to get, they'd have to make up the ground with Real Madrid by the by taking the three points, which would be a six-point swing, and then Girona the same way. They would have to take the three points and move, you know, hop them on the table. And same thing with Atleti. They have to beat Atleti. So it's like to ask them to beat Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Girona, Real Sociedad, even Las Palmas, the way they play. And then, I mean, Mallorca are on the, again, top of the world right now, going against Barcelona then next Friday, having made the Copa del Rey final. So hats off to them, by the way, for that. But yeah, I mean, that's just, that's a really, really tough schedule down the stretch here with an eight-point gap. Well, and also, just... so Lewandowski is playing much better. He's scoring yeah. goals, right? He was one of the bright spots versus uh, Versatafe. He's, he's played a lovely match. Very influential on and off to the ball. You know, it, the, I don't know if the days of dead dog Lewandowski are fully gone, but him being productive changes things for Barcelona. Having Ter Stegen back changes things. I mean, you know, I I, I don't believe that 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 Iñaki Pena cost them the lead, but I think that period where he was in goal, he, his level was decisive in the wrong way in matches, and if Ter Dagan is there the whole season. I would suggest that Barca is four to five points better in the standings than they are right now. And then, right, you have Iliga. Uh, the way it is now, that period where Ter Stegen was gone did so much damage because with the way the Barcelona defense is, <laughs> you can't have a, a keeper that is less than top-notch, and despite what his his uh, detractors might say, Ter Stegen is top-notch. You can't have less than a top-notch keeper back. You know, Christensen at DM is significant. It's a major upgrade. It has changed the way the team plays. His assist was glorious. I mean, for your DM, really a center back, to be able to make that run, and put that pass in the exact right spot on the dead run. I mean, pinch me, I'm dreaming. So I think that because of performances and because of changes that Xavi has made, I think Barca is better 
whipped going into the these you know last matches of the season but they still don't have the horses and you know much of the reason they don't have the horses is they can't get consistent gold production from from other places you know i don't know what's going to happen with frankie dion but he's you know, as you know right i wrote a piece for the athletic when his name first came up saying you shouldn't do the deal it's it's uh, going to be expensive you're going to have to drop your pants and he's not the player that people think he is right lo and behold what five years hence he's expensive they have to uh, drop their uh, pants and he's not the player people thought he was going to be i thought that van de Vaart said it best he's too long on the ball he likes to run with the ball too much he can't he's just not he's and we've been waiting for years for him to make that midfield his right Pedri came in no it's mine Gabi came in no it's mine right and everybody's like well when Busquets leaves we'll see the best Frankie de Jong Busquets is gone and we've seen the exact same de Jong so in that decisive slot in your midfield to have an, an, an underperforming player is fate where, you know, Real Madrid rolls out with Chomeni, Camavinga, <laughs> Prost, Modric. I mean, they've got all kinds of permutations that they can throw at a team. Xavi has you know, old man Gundogan, Frankie the Cypher, you know, Hedri, who is a, a gem, but in his own way, limited, right? So that midfield is not able to decide a match. It's not able to, to change a match. That midfield can't control a match, but it can't change a match. And that's the frustration. Well, I would say there, well, I would say there mm-hmm. are times where like Real Madrid, I'll watch them. And again, the collective over the individual, where when Barcelona play poorly, they play poorly as a unit, where Real Madrid... They, there are matches where Kamavinga has struggled this season. There are matches when Chiamani has struggled this season. Like They have individuals who struggle. I mean, Vinny Jr. has struggled in matches, and yet, again, they, because it's such an individual system that you could have five players struggle, and as long as the other six succeeded or, and did their job, then, then, you're, then you're, you're in a good shape. Okay, yeah. so I, I, got, I, got, I want to go back to the idea of affirming Lopez because, Kevin, you worked in journalism. I worked in journalism. So this is a... I love this all time, you know, definitely not leaked from the club story that came out yesterday or the day before about FC Barcelona and they're changing their approach to promising young players. They want to use Fermi Lopez as an example uh, moving forward here. So he was loaned out to a third division side uh, last season as a teenager and developed, came back to Barcelona at a higher level and then became a regular in the first team. So they said that, you know, they're not going to loan out all the young players or young players who are ready to go right to the first team, like Pau Gabarsi and Lamini Mall. Great. And then the hope is that they continue to have these players under contract until they're like 22. At this point, they're either in the first team or uh, they get a transfer fee out. That story came out and I read it and I was like, isn't that what like the point is? Isn't that what every team is playing to do? Like, isn't that what everyone would love to do with every player from their academy? Like, that's not... You know, again, when I say definitely not leaked from a club, like, it, I mean, yeah, it was definitely like the club's like, hey, could you put out this, basically this press release about how we're excited about Fermi Lopez and the Academy? <laughs> like, that's, I don't say we're not having a talking point because I can actually put this into practice for you really quickly. Mika Faye, 
who has been putting up some highlights with Barca Athletic, that idea that I just told you about is going to immediately be put to the test this summer. Because at 19, and I, he's going to be 20, but if Barca get an offer for him for 20 million euros with some sell-on clause and a buyback, I think they sure as heck take it with a financial situation they're in for a player that was not contributing to the first team this season. Because if you watch him for Barca Athletic, inconsistency and concentration have been the issues with him. That's why he's not currently even with the first team. And that's why they bought Inigo Martinez after having Mika Faye do the preseason with the first team. And they, st- I mean, I think they were always going for Inigo Martinez. That was wrapped up by like last March or whatever, because I can for Mika Faye this season, show you a highlight reel as most people watch for Barca Athletic. And I could have you screaming. Why is he not in the first team over Inigo Martinez? Like, look at what he does at his ceiling, which after the Napoli mishap, maybe Inigo Martinez is not the best example at the moment, but I think that he's been really solid other than like three moments this season. I think Inigo Martinez has been just a really solid, what is he now, the fifth center back, right? Behind Kabarsi, he was sixth center back because Christensen would start in theory over Inigo Martinez too. So for your fifth or sixth center back, I think Inigo Martinez has been more than fine in the moments he's on the field, again, with the one half mishap against Napoli. And you can even argue if that was a foul or not. So I think with Negro Martinez, we're not talking about a Negro, another Lane situation where he was just making like individual error after error, you know, three in five matches or eight matches or whatever it was. So yeah, I, I think Barcelona is going to, if they, let's say if they like, you know, ask the journalists to put this out, they're going to have to put their money where their mouth, their mouth is literally on a guy like Mika Faye, because are you willing to say no? If Arsenal really are in on him, you could say, hey, Arsenal, we want 25 mil from, from Mika Faye with a sell on and a, a 40 million buyback or whatever, you know, which would be the price of him if he really does hit his ceiling. Because that, I mean, for a player as good as he is athletically, for a player with a left foot that good, with a deluge of left footed center backs, like, you know, that's a player that's going to fetch a good number. And the only, I, for your response, Kevin, I'm going to challenge you. Oh, I'm going to challenge you here. <laughs> I don't think you know what I'm going to challenge you with. You're not allowed in your answer to mention the name John Clarita Debo. You have to you have to respond to me without fine, mentioning without mentioning the name John Clarita Debo. So go ahead. That's fine. So right now, FC Barcelona has the wrong context for a player such as Faye to succeed because what you need to have is he's your fifth center back, right? Not not Inigo, right? Faye and you play him in Copa matches, you play him in late stages where you're winning Champions League matches, you bring him along gradually within the context of the first team right? in a way that lets his skill set develop. And make no mistake, that young man has a pro- prodigious skill set. He is the type center back skill set right? that first team needs, right? Because say what you will about Yakunde, um, who might be, who might be, should be moving on this summer. The biggest, and people are saying, oh, you know, Aruho is this, Aruho is that. The biggest problem that that, that Aruho has is the world building is burning around him and he just has too many fires to put out and he makes wrong decisions from time to time. You know, if you put Aruho next to an athlete, you know, next to a player with pace, who's good in air, who has a quality left foot verging on elegant, you make him a much better center back. Now, Faye is in no way ready 
for regular time with the first team in a way that you see him in decisive matches. But if you say, oh, well, he's, you know, he's he's inconsistent for Barca B. Well, yeah, he is. I mean, Balde was a headless chicken for Barcelona B, right? Mm-hmm. Watched him live two times. Like, good Lord, he's not ready for the first team. Look what happened. You know, yeah. I think that the, the team is not set up to allow a player like Faye to be su- Successful. And that's the pity. So for all of their talk about how they're going to manage young players and how they're going to treat youth, the structure right now doesn't exist for them to do right by their young uh, players because you shouldn't have to loan players out to get them the growth yeah. they need to be successful at your club. That structure should exist. I mean, look, Jeffrey. Teo, Sverkic, you know, Blanca, you know, all those players, right? They came up and they came up within the structure of the first team, but that first team was good enough to give them a foundation in which to exist and grow. Right now, that foundation Yeah, you always have a difference for us. His best moments were in a Barcelona uniform because if you follow his progression career, yes. like, it just it didn't turn out the way he would have wanted, but yeah, his best moments were definitely same there. thing with Teo. Same thing with Teo. And you know, before the uh, knee injury that robbed right. us of the joys of watching Cuenca, you know, and so you have to have that foundational structure that allows you to do right by your young players. And to me, doing right by young players, not saying them elsewhere for playing time, it's developing a structure that allows them to move up the ladder. Mm-hmm. You know that that allows them to get a legitimate shot to be successful within the first team. I mean, I want to throw in about Faye too. By the way, like I, I, he's inconsistent and he's and he's at times lacking concentration. This is something that Mark that Rafa Marquez has said. This is something when you watch him. I mean, he does. He is he is error prone at this point. But so I did PK. Well, of course, right. But it's also a reminder too about Faye that he a is still a teenager, but b he only played a half season of second division Croatian football. And before that was in, right, was in the system in Africa. And so he is, his amount of professional football is like, I'm just saying at his level of where he's already at, it is incredible where he already is in development. And I think that's another point about Mika Faye that is, is Pauku Barsi better than Mika Faye at this moment? I mean, when you say, can you compare the two? You shouldn't, well, you shouldn't, but they play, They're, they're center backs together. And so they, in theory, at center back, they might be taking, like, Kubarsi might block Faye from a role because you don't want to put two, you can't bring along two teenagers at the same time. Now, fortunately, I think Kubarsi is so far along that you could actually already say by in two years' time, he's plays like a veteran. And then at that time, Mika Faye is still only 21, 22. So I think there's a world where you can have a, 22-year-old Mika Faye and a 20-year-old Pau Gubarsi, and your team is just fine. You can trust those kids. Because again, I think Mika Faye in three years is going to be scary. And I, th- But again, it's all about development. If he develops, if he develops, if he can refine that, incons- that inconsistency and concentration, because to your point about even Araujo, I think Araujo, when he came, was so raw with the ball, so raw with the ball, with passing goes where I feel like at Tadafe, he just heard me complaining about it for all those years, that he was really just pinging those really great passes. 
But Araujo, it has taken him, honestly, this season is the best year on the ball. And it took him five years to get to a point where you're like, okay, you trust him more in these situations. But Faye is already, already delivering those balls with his left foot, which again, opens up the other half of the field, which Barca has not yeah. seen with the left-footed center back since, I'm trying to think about it. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm having it's, it's, and for me, so the last legitimately physically talented center back in that way that you know Barca had was Umtiti you know on and off the ball he's money right pre-injury right I mean because I mean he was one of the best five center backs in the league and you had to scratch your head to figure out who the other four were he's fantastic long passes moving the ball himself intelligent on and off the ball proactive defending you know that act of defending before you need to defend. He was amazing. And Barca hasn't had a similar center back since he fell apart, right? Yep. And I think that Faye, from what I've seen anyway, is the, the closest thing to that. And to me, they're insane if they move him. They're insane because there are things you can coach. Like, I mean, you can take a player like, like you know, Kubasi, you can shape him, you can teach him right, you can develop his talent in a way that makes him one of those prototypical must-see players, right? Smart on the ball, knows what to do with it before he gets it, reads the match extremely well, does all the right things. And then you have somebody who can run like a like a, a gazelle, jump out of the gym, has a a howitzer of a left foot and gets brain fart from time to time. PK was notorious for brain fart, and he's one of the best CBs in uh, club history. I think they're nuts if they move him. I mean, is there a price where it becomes a no-brainer? It depends on if you look at what will it cost to replace that kind of profile. I mean, don't forget that, you know, there's real cost, there's opportunity cost, right? Yeah. And so if you sell him on for 20 million and in two years, you're thinking, you know, what'd be nice is that guy playing for Arsenal. <laughs> right? And Arsenal's like, why do you got 40 million? That I mean, yeah, to me, at it's really hard to project out because I've been doing these La Masia profiles and I've got a bunch more, like it's my second batch coming out soon on, on YouTube, these little one minute whatevers. And I will say there's, I know that we're talking about teenagers and I think that's the difficulty here because Barca do have, there is four more behind Kubarsi even and behind Faye, there is four more 15 to 16 year old center backs who all have really high potential that I have not seen since I've been covering the Liga now for these, like, whatever, 15 years. Like, they, this, this is a really, really, really sensational class. But because they're only 15, 16, like, one of them broke their leg this year. And he's out for, like, he was out for most of the season. And so you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And, and Faye is already there. And to your point, it's just like, yeah, like, 30 mil for a player that has never, has not really played with the first team. Business tells you take that deal. But to your point, right, if you're not looking ahead and you're not taking... If you can't replace something in two or three years, it may not be able to be replaced, to your point. Well, the other thing is with those other center back prospects, right? 
do any of them have the physical skill set of fighting? They do I mean, not. What? Yeah, they do what not. What Barcelona lacks right now, right? They lack problem solvers. The greatest thing about about a player like 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 Abidal that he solved problems, yeah. right? PK would brain fart. The rapist would uh, be off doing something silly. And Abidal had that sideline to sideline range where he solved problems. Barcelona lacks a problem solver. Everybody, Rafinha's the fastest player on the team, you know, and he doesn't really do any work back on defense. So they have no problem solvers. And so when the defense breaks down, having somebody who can sprint back and get in with a late tackle and solve a problem is invaluable, right? I mean, you know, that kind of player saved Napoli time after time the other. And I just think, you know, and I know that people are like, oh, you don't need athletes. Yeah, you do. You do. In modern football, modern football needs athletes. There's a reason that uh, Real Madrid is getting Mbappe and Alfonso Davis. You know, they're not just great players, they're leads who can change a match and solve problems. And, you know, the whole notion of, you know, these we Catalan geniuses playing the right way. And I'm sorry, but that's nonsense. In in 2024, that's nonsense. You have to have horses who can outrun people, outjump people, and who are also good on the ball. I'm not saying players who aren't good on the ball, aren't smart on the ball, aren't on the ball. But if, you know, a player like Chomani is not only an athlete, he's, he's fantastic on the ball. You know, Kamavinga, same thing. You know, Davies, same thing. So I just think that, you know, when I hear Deco saying, oh, you know, first of all, our, our new manager will have to commit to playing beautiful football. I just think, who cares? To me, the reality is modern football places a different set of demands on a team than football did eight years ago, right? Or whenever those uh, Guardiola teams were, God, more than eight years ago. And you have to adapt to that. Madrid has, Manchester City has, every top team has, except for one, that's FC Barcelona. It's ridiculous. It can't, it can't continue. It can't continue. Well, the other thing I'll say about Faye too and Barca Athletic, when I watch them now, that he is actually missing Kubarsi. Kubarsi and Faye really, really supported each other well in the point that Kubarsi's positioning in the third division, you could see the, you could see, I mean, especially I had mentioned against Aspas, like Kubarsi has done so well against some of the best individual forwards that Liga has to offer and kind of just containing them with his body. Like not in a very Mascherano way where it's like, you're not, you're not highlighting it. You're not seeing it, but it's happening. And so he and Faye just complement each other so well. And since Kubarsi has been promoted to the first team, Faye has, to your point, had to put out a lot more fires. So he's gotten some yellows that were suspect. He's gotten, I think it's two reds that you're just like, ah, you know what I mean? And so that inconsistency for him has, has gotten greater with, with the lack of Kubarsi. I think that's been really to, just an important point. And to that point, too, about Barca Leg, I just want to throw this out there, too. I think while Rafa Marquez, not say I don't care what he's doing, as long as he's developing the players that I, that I need to see in the first team. So like when I watch Bar, uh, Barca Athletic at the moment, I am watching for, and I have even their last, their last lineup here, 
I am watching for what Mark Yu does in his limited time. I am watching for Mark Bernal. I am watching for Mika Faye. I am because of the investment and his age. I'm watching for Noah Darvich, and really, that's it. Like if if Casado does something good, great. If Unai Hernandez does something great, good. If uh, whoever whoever else is there is if Pal Victor actually on loan, you know, if Barcelona decide to buy him from Girona on loan, if he does something great, great. I, I'm like Moa um, Muklis, I, I who who starts at either right back or midfield. He he's 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 a regular starter for them. I don't. He's 23 or 24, or whatever. I don't care. It's just, you know what I mean. And it doesn't matter. But it's fine. Like he's good. And as long as he's a good leader in their locker room, and as long as he says, "Hey, Mark Bernal, you're 16 years old. This is how you be a professional." That's his job. That's why he was signed for what is it, 500,000 euros or or whatever, not million. Like I'm saying, like 500,000 euros, whatever he was signed for, like or one million or whatever. Like. So here's the other wild card question: How is Julian Arujo doing on loan? Terrifically. To the point where that's between player, correct, who is a potential problem solver, right? He, I mean, I am not quite sure why I've been not as fanatical about watching other Liga teams as I uh, have been in the past. But from those it's been a bad limited... month. It's been a bad month or two for him. I'll say since the new year changed, and I think this was going to happen. I mean, he had even at the Galaxy, he'd have two or three months that would be forgettable. And he also, I think he picked up a little injury, got a, got a yellow card suspension. So it's, it's been inconsistent with him. My only concern with him is that he needs to be on the field for a long time. Because again, he's been a starter since he was 19. So he's been a starter for like the Galaxy for three or four years. Now with Los Palmas, he was generally their starter. And now that he's kind of moved to the bench role, my only concern about Juan Araujo truly is that he, A, I mean, I don't know. I actually think he plays as just good a ball as Kunde because he's a natural right back and Kunde's not. So in terms of what you ask your right back to do, in certain limitations, like Julian Araujo can do that. But I, I think, I mean, he's a pretty good crosser too of the ball. He gets forward in La Liga in ways that I'm, I wanted to see if he could get forward the way he used to in MLS for a La Liga team. And he's done that. And again, Los Palmas system also has really supported him. They press high, they work hard. So he's also been in a good system for him. So I do... I'm worried that him starting for Las Palmas is kind of a best case scenario. So I have soured a little bit, but whenever I've watched him for 90 minutes, I've said that player is good enough for FC Barcelona, whether he's a starter at right back, whether he's a bench option. And as I said before, if they coop, if they, even if they keep Kunde, having the option of having Kunde, Araujo, and a developing Hector Fort, I don't know when the last time I was as happy other than when you know, unfortunately, this is a show where we keep bringing up he who shall not be named, but like, so Trash Legacy and then Adriano, who could play at both left back and right back. This is, I mean, that was the last time, again, because you harken back to Pep Guardiola, but that was the last time when I really felt that you could go two and a half deep. Because remember, Martin Montoya was also the youth academy third center, uh, third right back at the time. So that was the last time when I said, okay, you've got your starter, you've got a really good backup, and you've got your guy for the future but if you sell the guy the starter kunde then you're in good shape i think fort is like a year away but again financially that's where the piece are going to be moving i like i think if Barca had a choice to sell kunde they don't but financially to your point i mentioned on the show a number of times to me rafinha and kunde with the musical chairs of well that's what i'm saying yeah with their contracts and the the amortization like they're just they're the two guys that make the most sense that if you get a 50, 60, 70 million euro offer, 
you take that deal because it's going to give you the most flexibility moving forward. Those are the two guys. Again, it's nothing against Kunde or, or Rafina. They could be the two best players for the remainder of the season. I still say like contractually. I'm again, it's the same thing. People were yelling at me. Oh, you had that show with Robbie last week. You know, well, how do you feel now with De Young doing so well against Adafi? Well, I feel the same because even though he said it's a lie, like his contract is still the same. And so like when I talk about Frankie De Young and his deficiencies, I'm talking about the money that Barca owe him with the deferred payments and the mistakes that were made on Bartomeu. Like whenever I, whenever I'm, I'm talking about a Frankie the Young transfer, I'm always just talking about Bartomeu. That is who I'm talking about, right? Like I'm not even talking about the Young because as you and I have talked about many times before, if somebody came to you and I and said, Hey, would you like to live in Barcelona and sign the dotted line on this number? You can trash me all you want. I mean, like I've gotten, I've said before, I've gotten death threats for this podcast, by the way, which is, you know, financially a labor of love. It's a paid hobby. It's not my fault. You know what I mean? Like, so I've gotten death threats for a paid hobby and that's, and I signed the dotted line on that. So if you're going to, you know what I mean? So if you're going to give me 30 plus million euros to live in Barcelona with my family, like. Dude, keep in mind the funniest part is, you know, I don't know if you saw the clip of De Jong after the, of the match. He said he played poorly. He like, hey, I, yeah, he said, I wasn't that, that good on the ball day. And, you, you know, for all the I just feel like as someone who's watched a lot of football and who has a lot of strong opinions and who is not shy about expressing them and who hates to be the one to, to ever say, told you so, you know, I think that there's some things you can look at and feel pretty good about the call that you made. I don't think De Jong moves in the summer. You know, his new kid, you know, he's super happy. He does love the club. Like, he, lo- he really does love the club. Like, there, there is this... Javi is right to the point where there are guys who don't necessarily love the club and there are guys who do. And De Jong, I will never argue about his love for the crest. Like, he didn't come up through the system, but... And they're different personalities, but him and Gabi, they both love FC Barcelona. Like just because Gabi is willing to throw his head off the ground and whatever, like they both love the club. And I'm not going to take anything away from from Frankie Young in that way. Now, for you, two questions, both kind of on the dark side. So Ansu Fati and Gabi, right? Mm-hmm. There, Gabi's coming back from basically a knee reconstruction, and Fati will be coming b- back in theory from a whole host. I think he's now just getting on the mend with Brighton, right? Two weeks ago, he came back. Yep. So what happens? I mean, obviously, Gavi, you you give him the shot. His game is less dependent on the kind of mobility that can be affected by that kind of knee injury. But conversely, Physically, Gabi was right on the edge of like, if you lose, if he loses a half step, right? That's mm-hmm. the difference for him between being there and not being there. Gabi doesn't have a huge physical margin, right? I mean, his game. So that neat thing remains to be seen. Bati is the larger question. So, what are your thoughts on those two? For me, I think if you get any kind of reasonable offer for, Fati, his salary notwithstanding, you take it. You bite their hand off. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's 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 ever gonna 
be anything other than the grant film of La Liga. Oh, Gavi, I, that one hurt. That one hurt. The, the grand, uh, that one hurt. I love Grand Hill. That one hurt. I, yeah, I. Oh I man, think, I grew up. I grew up on. I grew up on Grand Hill Duke. And that was like one of my some of my first basketball memories. And I, oh man, I want him to succeed so bad. And that second or third ankle surgery when he was with the Suns and Mad. Oh, that one hurt. Right, and and so I mean, I think that like, but you know, Gavi, I think you have to give a good hard look. But both are on the cusp. I, for me, anyway. Wait, what are your thoughts? So I am optimistic about Gabi for, to your point, you're right. He does have a small physical margin, but ACL, I'm not a doctor, but ACL, ACL injuries and repairs have improved greatly. Like I do talk to trainers. I do work in sports and that, and I, we are seeing more and more players put ACL injuries behind them. The difference between even the injuries that Fatih and Gabi and the surgeries that occurred is that Ansu Fatih had part of his meniscus at 19 removed, which is a stressful thing. And that means that much more quickly you could have bone on bone, which for Gabi, I believe in his procedure, they were able to kind of rectify it. And he should 100% return. And because he's so young, he was able to, like his body did recover. So the, the thing about Gabi is that next season might not be Gabi that you know, but I think I hold out hope that in two seasons from now, he could be back to 100% and you put that behind him in a way that even David Villa, when he broke his leg, which I know an ACL is even unfortunately more long lasting than a broken leg, a broken leg because his bone will heal like fully in its way with the plate or whatever. But David Villa did, it took him two years, but he did come back. He broke the leg and he was fine in about, well, maybe even a year and a half. He actually really spit back from that pretty quickly. So for Gabi, I hold out hope not next season, but the following season that he will be at that time. I think he turned 21. Yeah, like today or something or this week. Uh, he turned. And then, so young. And then, by the way, happy birthday to Farron Torres, who is a leap year b- baby. So if you're listening to this after the day after we recorded on Thursday, I think it, well, that's thing. Farron Torres is only, what, eight years old because of the leap years. Or no, six years old because of the leap years. So in his defense, in his defense, Ferran Torres is only actually six six birthdays in. So for a six-year-old, Ferran Torres is pretty good. But yeah, and then for Ansu, oh man, this is where the name Jao Mendes must be said because what's so interesting is that he is a Jao Mendes client. And I always forget that because I, I but there's a part of my gut that says, uh, it came out today even, that Jao Felix, Atletico Madrid, because of the asset that he is, that's the reason they resigned him, that he, that he is a financial asset for them, which is, I think kind of dumb for them because of, you know, how poorly he was playing for them, but they want 70 to 80 mil for him. And they're going to hold out because he's got a long contract now, right? With amortization, that's what they have to have. You have to pay 70 to 80 to make up for their amortization. So again, it's kind of backfired because Jao Felix is not Jao Felix and that's who you signed, but they do have control over him, which because of his market, even, and the name that he is and Jao Mendez being his agent they do make money on the loan. So they are like other teams will split salary and then pay for a loan the way Barcelona even did. And so I think they're going to look that being Barcelona and Chao Mendes and Atletico Madrid, kind of that gentleman's agreement for next year to say, all right, we'll loan you back out, whatever. Like, so that way Atletico Madrid can kick the the can down the road. Barcelona can kick the can down the road on Jao Felix and everybody's kind of happy with it. Mendes is happy with it, which means Laporte is happy with it and it works out. 
But because Ansu Fati, it's so weird because he doesn't feel like a Mendes client to me because of how things have gone sideways for him. Because because it's it's just, it's it's so difficult because he is a Mendes client. I'd say well he has a space in the the squad, but it feels like Zhao Felix will take priority. And to me, it feels like it's one or the other. Where Zhao because Zhao Felix is not a Barcelona asset, they can't sell him. So they're just going to bring him back on loan because it's an available option for their left wing, which, as we've said, financially is going to be a problem for them next season too. It's not going to get better. I personally, even with what I've seen at Brighton, I would love to say that you would be able to find a left winger. And like, you know, Nico Williams is impossible, but, you know, and then people saying Leal, which is absurd. But the idea would be if, if you could create something where Gobby's back and you do play that four midfield set, you know what I mean? Because De Jong isn't going anywhere too. So if you're going to play four midfielders next season with Christensen and De Jong and Gundogan and Gabi and Pedri, and four of the six of them are always on the field, then that left wing is an inverted left winger. And you're going to get a whole heck of a lot of Lavinia Mall because he's a one winger and then Lewandowski or Vida Roque or whoever, right? And you might get a little more left wing Vida Roque next season. Like that, that might, that's a possibility as he adapts as well. So you do have some options. And now you're saying, okay, so I'd love to say, Ansu Fati, you're really, even though we don't have an actual left winger, you are our backup left winger for next season. And you go ahead with that. Because I think for the salary that he commands, he gives you an okay amount of production if he is on the field. But he's also not always on the field. So I don't know. It's tough. I think it's also with his, I think being in the Premier League also inflated his value a little bit for Ansu. I think he showed well enough this season for Brighton in his limited time that there is a team who's willing to spend 30 on him. And I think with all his injuries, as much as I loved Ansu, I think you do have to take that deal. You take 30 for him. And I think that is what I think that's with Mendes as his agent too. As I said, I think 30 is what Mendes can fetch for him. And I think at this point in his journey, I mean, even the hamstring injury he had at Brighton took him out for another month and a half, two months. It's just his body's broken down yeah, and, I hate it. It's just, it's, you know what I mean? Just because I hate it doesn't mean it's that it's not cruel. true. It's so cruel because, I mean, he is yeah. somebody who is, he's a nice kid. He's incredibly talented. And, you know, one bad tackle and then a coterie of witch doctors. And suddenly he's the guy you're talking about. You, you know, never, he's, he, he will be a shadow of, you know, and you know, say what you want about Dembele. He came through all the witch doctor treatments and he's the same player like you know mm -hmm. running jumping cutting he's the same player Fati on the other hand he's just he's a uh, shell of yeah, himself he's not, he's, he's not he's not no and so the question becomes you know what do you do with that player and now is Fati a better left winger than Ferran Torres yes but what's the the price on that and what's the the complexity and if you know he comes back and once again right he's in barcelona and there's obviously also psychological pressure present which was some of the things that i think were affecting his play when he was at barcelona i mean what's contractually to throw that out there there is the amortization which is such a boring word but that's we're not choosing between ferran torres and Fati. Ansu Fati has zero amortization because it came from the academy and ferran torres yeah. has too much to move and that is literally the difference between them and to your point as well on durability Ferran Torres, say what you want about him. And I know he's out right now, so it's bad timing, but Ferran Torres is largely available. Like, the guy generally doesn't really get hurt. And availability is the best 
Availability sometimes, huh? He's he's back with the squad this week, I think. Torres uh, next week he'll be back for Napoli, one hundred percent. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it, and look, I mean, I you know, Torres is someone who uh, obviously there is spirited debate about, and for me, I've said it before, and I would love to be proven wrong, but he's one of those ninety eight percent players where they do everything right. And then that last 2% is like dirt. And it's not anything related to them. It's not something that traditionally ever comes good. 98% players usually remain 98% players. And people talk about, oh, you know, his movement is this, his he's, you know, he, Move defenders, he draws this, he does that. If you want a guy to do that, Dembele was better at it than Ferran Torres is ever going to be, right? So what's his job? You know, his job has to be to be an effective you know, creator. And when he's a nine, goal scorer on the team. He's offside, he's pushing it wide, he's shooting it over the net, he's doing everything that 98% players do where they seduce you with their ability. Joao Felix, 98% player, right? Joao Cancelo, 99% player. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think the, the thing that Barcelona lack and the thing they need is, and I'll throw out some, you know, money ball stuff here is they need player, they need either 100% player or they need players who in their aggregate, right, can make 100%. And right now they have too many 98, 95% players to be able to be a successful team at the top most level. I believe they will get past Napoli. I believe that at home they will get past Napoli. I don't know who awakes them them after Napoli, but I think that's where things get dashed on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Unless they yeah, get think, lucky and there's some big upset and they get, you know, I don't know, I don't know if there's even someone in the draw left who I would be confident. Like Napoli is the last well, they could get Porto again. They could get, they could if, get Arsenal, Porto Porto, if Porto upset Arsenal, they could get Porto again. Oh that that goal was fantastic by the way. I turned off the Barcelona match and turned on the Porto match and yeah. it was right as the right right as a guy was taking the shot. And so my part of Villanova de Gaia, for those who don't know, I live in Portugal now, northern Portugal. My part of uh, Villanova de Gaia went crazy. Fireworks, car horns, people leaning off balconies, screaming. It was fantastic. And frankly, that's one of the coolest goals I've ever seen in terms of timeliness, in terms of all of execution. So yeah, I mean, you know, Porto could... They won't because Arsenal is, I think, too good, and Arsenal will be at home. And so I don't see Porto making that happen. But yeah, I, I think yeah, I'm even more confident about Barca beating Napoli than beating Porto. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of what ifs. I think that the the last thing I'll respond with about Ferran Torres is that onto Fati and Ferran Torres to me it's a similar situation. And I think why I say no to Jao Felix and why I've been saying no to him for a while is that. When he looks in the mirror, Jao Felix, he needs to be, and especially if Barcelona even are paying part of his wages or looking to get him, whatever, 
he sees himself as a starter. He sees himself as a top 11 player in the team. And that is not the level that he contributes to Barcelona at. If Ferran Torres, and I don't think he did, I mean, these players have to believe in themselves. And I think because of Barcelona, the injury issues, the squad depth that we talk about and all that stuff, you know, a lot of these squad depth conversations have been a lot easier on the back line without Marcus Alonso even being an option for Xavi. Like that almost got decided for him. So for Ferran Torres, if he looked in the mirror and you told me that Ferran Torres was Barcelona's 16th player on the season, I would say they've actually got a pretty good deep squad. And I will also def- almost defend Ferran Torres in that his um, yearly wages are befitting of the 15th or 16th player on their roster. They don't overpay him wage-wise. Like his amortization and the initial transfer fee is what people always say about. But he accepted, it was a higher transfer fee up top, as I kept saying at the time, because his he was willing to spread that out over five years and they don't have to worry about that he fits in their salary structure, does Ferran Torres as the 12th to 16th best player on the roster. But to your point, because Barcelona do not have enough difference makers, now you're like, hey, we really would have needed like 15 goals out of Ferran Torres this year. That really would have been great. And that's not who he is. And you're not someone you're going to get. So it's just, it's, it's, and Ansu would be the same way. If he returned next season, it would be, what are your expectations for Ansu? And what is he capable of and who is he? And I think because of that social media and whatever, that cognitive dissonance, the player that we want these guys to be is not who they might be and not even who they might see themselves as. And that creates an issue. So anyway, for next, uh, we've gone, this is maybe the longest show I've ever done. So congratulations to the two of us, but that's what midweek gets you. You only get one show. You don't have any match review. Great stuff. So athletic club this weekend, the best case scenario for Barcelona, they play that being athletic club, Atletico Madrid tomorrow afternoon in the second leg of the Copa del Rey. So congrats to Mallorca, as I said, for making the final. But then Athletic Club played Barca on Sunday without Vivian and without Nico Williams. So they are at SMMS, which is a hat in their, uh, a feather in their cap. But things could not be more optimistic for Barcelona, which, as you know, Kevin, that's when they let you down. So I, I, I want to say that you did not let the people down. I appreciate you coming on the show. There was other things we didn't even get to. For as long as it was, we didn't even talk about Laminia Mall and going to Adidas or you, you mentioned Kalina Bappe, but Alice Garrido also had an injury. So there are things to go over already for next week. I've, I've still got more to talk about, but Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show. And me, anything to plug other than just like giving some advice on, on retirement, on <laughs> letting people know that uh, there is hope. Oh my God. Just, I mean, if, if I highly recommend retirement. That's, that's it. That's my plug. If you can retire, it's awesome. Yeah, I would also plug that you help out on Patreon. I'm not retired, so Patreon, the Barcelona podcast, merch store, the Barcelona podcast as well. Twitter, thanks. I got over 2,000 right before the website exploded, so that's great. And then Instagram as well, the Barcelona podcast, close Facebook group, Discord, if they have any good rating on the podcast app, subscribe to the YouTube channel, quickest and easiest way to help the show. Thanks so much for listening, though. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.